This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. The book of Nehemiah is where we are. We are in the middle of a series. We're in week three of a series called For the City. Uh, We're walking through the book of Nehemiah. Um, Honestly, I've not necessarily put a cap on how long this series will be. Um, In a perfect world, we would make it to a Christmas uh, series, uh, through uh, not through Nehemiah, but get to Nehemiah uh, at the end of Nehemiah in time for that. Uh, But I'm going to let this one go as it pleases. I have already found, I was supposed to do the entire chapter two last week, I've already found that that's not going to work. And so we are back in chapter two today. So if you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter two, by the way, if you're here for the first time today, I want to thank you so much for being here for worshiping with us. If this is your first time in a long time, um, I want to uh, thank you for being back. Um, and we preach through books of the Bible here. So if you don't like to hear preaching from the Bible, through books of the Bible, we're not the place for you. Um, but my goal is that every single time we finish a book, that we finish that book as a church. And the next time you read that book in your personal Bible reading, you recall the things that we, that we preached about. You may even log back on to the podcast and maybe listen through parts of a sermon or something in, in something that you're reading. For instance, we finished uh, the book of Habakkuk not long ago. I'm just thinking through that book, we finished the book of Ephesians, and I know I'll never read the book of Ephesians the same again. So that's the goal here, and so I wanted to uh, make sure that everyone knows where we stand on this. We preach the Bible and nothing else, and so praise the Lord for that. Hopefully, I'll never have anybody come preacher who does anything else. If I ever do, it'll be the one and only time, all right? So the only one and only time that they get to preach. But anyway, um, Nehemiah, the second chapter, last week we, were, we did the first eight verses. Uh, But basically, just to get you up uh, to where we are in our story, um, Nehemiah was in captivity in a city called Shushan, and uh, another word for that is Susa. You may see that synonymously in scripture. He was in captivity there. He was the cupbearer to the king. We know that was an important role. He, He took the the drink before the king took the drink so that if there was any poison in that drink, It fell on him, and it didn't fall on the king. He would eat every uh, meal that would come before the king. He would take bites of it beforehand to make sure no poison was in there. Once again, as I said the first week, a cupbearer is a horrible job. Because if you're good at your job, if you succeed at your job, you're poisoned. All right, you die. And so uh, that's not not the kind of job that I really want. However, if you think about it, he was afforded some intimate settings with King Artaxerxes. Uh, If you think about it, he was probably in places that no one else was able to be. He had a kind of behind the scenes look. He was extremely important to the king. Um, and he was serving there and his brother, Hanani, shows up after a three month journey from Jerusalem. And he shows up and he tells Nehemiah, Nehemiah, listen, uh, back about 80 to 100 years ago, Zerubbabel brought back some people out of captivity back to Jerusalem. And then Ezra, who we believe penned this book, and he's actually writing from Nehemiah's Uh, journals here but Ezra came by uh, about 80 years later he came by and he brought more people and now those people the remnant are back in Jerusalem in the city but the walls are broken down and are burned they're open and susceptible to other people coming in and taking them captive and Nehemiah was broken for the city that he once called home hence the title of our series is for the city 
Nehemiah has a burden. And if you remember the first week, uh, Nehemiah found out the problem and he immediately went to his knees in prayer. Um, and and I, I, we made this statement, his first step of action was to fall to his knees. And oftentimes that's our last ditch effort. But his first plan of action, his first step of action was to fall to his knees in prayer. And he did so, we found out, for an extended period of time. This was intense prayer. This was not, now I lay me down to sleep, a bag of popcorn at my feet. This was intense prayer. This was Nehemiah coming before God, begging him. This lasted for four months. So he finds out about the burden, and it lasts four months of intense prayer. And we know that he was preparing for the day when he would go before the king as he did every day, but this certain day would be different. And last week we talked about how he came before King Artaxerxes and the way he presented himself to the king. Um, we, we drew a couple of conclusions last week as the king immediately recognized that his face was saddened and that he was not happy. And the king said, what's wrong? As you can imagine... Nehemiah went through physical checkups in his role. Obviously, he couldn't have anything contagious. He couldn't be sick and be the cupbearer. So he would go through physical checks with the, those in, in, the, in the palace all the time. So they knew his physical health, health was fine. And the king said, hey, what's, what's wrong? Something's wrong. And I know you're not sick. So what is it? I thought that was interesting that for four months of intense prayer, Nehemiah had continued to do his job with a pleasant look on his face. And he continued to do what he was asked to do and called to do, even while he had this intense burden. And he went before the king on this specific day. He knew that he was going to be sad in the king's presence. He knew that that could result in him being kicked out of the palace and or killed for doing that. But we saw him go before the king and ask the king, may I, not king, could you get some other people together because this is a worthy cause. But no king, can I do something about this. And we talked about the truth of that in a church our size. It will not be enough for us to say, hey, our church is involved in this and you not be involved in it. If we're at the stage of our church coming up on two years, if our church is going to be doing anything, it's going to have to be that we personally say, we are doing this. Hey, we have this vision for missions. Oh, the church has this vision. No, no, no. It can't be they it's got to be we it's got to be us if it's going to happen it's got to be done by us and we talked about that how nehemiah took it personally and then he planned and prepared for the problems and the the possible roadblocks that lie ahead of him he knew he'd have a three-month journey we're going to talk about that journey today a little bit but he prepared he asked the king to give him some paperwork that would get him through the cities so that he would not be robbed or taken captive by any of those cities between uh, Susa and Jerusalem. Like I said, it's about a, a three-month journey right across the desert on foot. Um, nothing that anybody would want to take necessarily. He had paperwork for the, for the man Asaph who ran the timber for the area because he knew he would need supplies to build the gates and to build the, the walls back up. That was kind of what we talked about the first two weeks, and that's gotten us to this place. It's gotten us to Nehemiah and the second chapter uh, down to verse 9. I think it's interesting before we read the scripture this morning. 
Nehemiah, when he, walked, when he was in the four years of prayer, when he walked before the king that day and he gave his plan, that was his plan. That was his dream. And I, I often find it interesting that between what you dream about or what you have planned in your head and what reality is and when it actually happens, there's a lot that takes place. Um, we are in the process right now of revamping our church website. And um, Zach is helping us with that. Where's Zach at? There he is. Zach's helping us with that. And uh, he does a great job. Can't wait. Maybe within the next, uh, I'm not going to put a timeline on him. Maybe within the next like 10 days. Is that fair? All right, 10 days. No pressure. Um, but uh, that'll be ready to go. But you know, as we sat down three months ago, two and a half months ago at lunch, and we sat down and we, and we mapped out, hey, this is what we want. You know, we want to, what are people actually looking for on a church website? Like, they're not really looking for all this other stuff. They're looking for, like, what time does it start? Where is it? What's the atmosphere like? Do you have something for my kids? And we're going to try to answer all those questions on our website very simply. So we, we met through that stuff and, like, how can we do this with, like, as little bit of text as possible and, like, as small and concise and easy to navigate as possible. But the journey from lunch to launch... There's a lot that takes place. And in the same way with Nehemiah, the journey from planning, preparing, and praying to actually participating in what he's about to do, there was a lot to get from point A to point B. And we're going to think through and talk about that today. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. This is once again, we believe Ezra writing on behalf of Nehemiah from Nehemiah's journals. Verse 9 says, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. You remember the letters that the king wrote to get him through? Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. I, I do love that. He didn't even ask for that. Verse 10, When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. I find that odd. They were not deep disturbed by anything else. They were disturbed they had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, verse 11, and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well, to the refuse gate, and Viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Verse 17, then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, 
They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we as servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, speak through your word today. Remove me from the equation and I pray that your word would shine through the practical examples today, God, the lessons that we can learn in leadership today. God, I pray we would take these to heart. We love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lesson in leadership. A lesson in leadership. You may not think yourself a leader today. It may not, you may not be the type A personality that everybody, A personality does not make you a leader, number one. And it definitely doesn't make you a good one, <laughs> number two. In fact, oftentimes, those of us that are type A's think we're leaders and we really are horrible at it. All right, so if you're in that boat with me, uh, listen along. But I would suggest to you today that every single person under the sound of my voice, from the oldest person in this room to the youngest child in this room, is a leader. There are people that look to us that we have no idea look to us. To the smallest, youngest child in this room, I say that there's someone smaller and younger somewhere in your life that looks to you. They may would never tell you. They would never verbalize it, but they do. To the most elderly person in this room today, we won't have anybody raise their hand, uh, but to the most elderly person in this room today, you may think all oh, these young people, they don't ever pay attention. Oh, they just want to do their own thing. The truth is every single one of us have people in our lives that look to us. If today you are a parent, then you are a leader. Like there is, there's no way around it. If you are a parent, you are a leader. Um, we must learn some lessons today in leadership from the life of Nehemiah. Let's see, first of all, this morning, let's see the journey to the city. The journey to the city, verse 9, that I went to the governors in the region beyond the river, gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. This was a long and grueling journey. A three-month journey um, in the middle of the desert. We know that. You think about doing that today with all of the technological advances that we now have, and none of us would sign up for that. Not even some of you runners and marathon people, all right? Not even you guys, all right, would sign up for that. But at the end of the day, to think back to where they were, and to think back to the lack of technology that they had, the lack of, of, of even, I mean, can you imagine this? The lack of Google Maps, all right? The lack of, y'all remember back, way back, when we used to print out directions on MapQuest? Whew. I mean, way back, our kids will never understand the struggle. <clears throat> even better, two words for you, Rand McNally. Oh, yeah. The big old books in the cars, and you're like, when was this last? I see some of the young adults literally looking at each other like, what is he talking about? I saw that back there. I saw that. Like, what in the world? Y'all are in your 20s, man. Come on. Uh, I remember like looking. It's like, I wonder if they've added any new roads since this map was put out. Like, when was this map put out? 
But without all of those modern conveniences, I mean, think about how much we rely on those things. Like, hey, let's go eat at City Barbecue today. It's literally right, right, and you're there. I guarantee you, if you're not careful, I'll be like, um, City Barbecue. Like, so I put in my phone real quick, put it up there just to, just to make sure, just to make sure. It's just to get around town. We get so accustomed to that. But thinking about their journey, not only was it a hot, the weather, uh, the lack of water there in the desert, the difficulty there, uh, finding your way and making sure you were going to the right place. This journey was obviously not void of trouble. Just as Nehemiah was on his way, Sanballat and Tobiah, we find them, the first mention of them in this book. They were deeply disturbed. And here's the thing. They didn't even know what he was doing. We find out later in the text, did you listen to that? He hadn't told anybody yet. So Nehemiah, I mean, even the people that were with him, he had not told them the plan. They were just with him. And Sam Balanchine didn't even know what he was doing. And they despised him. The journey was difficult. The journey was not void of trouble. Just the fact that Nehemiah was doing something evidently caused Sanballat and Tobiah to despise him. And by the way, side note, if you're just doing something, oftentimes there will be people that despise you. And you're like, what's your problem? Like, he was just doing something and they despised him. But let me say this on your journey and your journey called life and your journey called God's purpose, your journey called God's plan for your life, God never promised that your ship would sail on, on calm waters. God never promised that your ship would sail on calm waters. In fact, quite the opposite, we find that God oftentimes sends us out into the rough waters. In fact, we sing songs about it. Take me deeper. Really? <laughs> right? Um, but we, we actually have a God who says, I'm not, I'm not going to send you out on calm waters. I'm, waters. I'm going to send you out on rough waters. I'm going to send you out on those waters where you cry out to me is what happened when Jesus was alive in the gospels. And they cried out to him and he came out and said, peace be still and calm the waters for him. God never promised us calm waters. I would dare say that those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer rough waters. I would dare say that if this journey in following Jesus is a real journey, that we will come under opposition and we will be despised by people. In fact, if, if you've been on your journey long at all and have not come across opposition, I might make sure I'm on the right journey because scripture is pretty evident that those of us that will live godly will suffer persecution. I almost hesitate to use that terminology, even though it's Bible terminology, because I think of the American church and the way we exist today, and we, don't, we have no idea what suffering persecution is. We think suffering persecution is somebody getting mad at a Facebook comment we made that they took the wrong way. I'm suffering persecution. We think suffering persecution is bad because last year Durham Public Schools told us we couldn't, uh, we couldn't put our signs up there that had the church name showing because we didn't, they didn't want the students thinking that the school was pushing religion on the kids. 
man, we're really suffering. Alex, you got to do this, man. You got to flip the sign around and face it that way. If you can do that, man. And then, I mean, we think we suffer persecution. But I hope we understand today that as we speak, there's legitimate persecution. And those that live godly in Christ Jesus, especially in, in pockets and areas in, in our world today, they will suffer persecution. There is no doubt about it. And Nehemiah was the same. As he was journeying to Jerusalem, journeying back to his city, there was opposition. There were those that despised him. So his journey was difficult. His journey was not void of opposition. Let's see, secondly, this morning, though, let's see the preparation for the city. The preparation for the city. I'm not going to read all of these verses today for sake of time. But when they arrive, they come to Jerusalem, and they're there three days, and then Nehemiah kind of sneaks out to do basically a little survey of the area. And he goes out on his, his animal, which I'm not sure if it was a horse, a donkey, a camel, whatever it may be. He was out on his animal. Um, it could be like a miniature pony. I'm not sure, whatever he was riding. All right, but um, he, that would have been awesome. But anyway... Um, <laughs> He's riding that around, and he's, he's going to make a, take a survey trip. Don't, don't shake your head. All right. Uh, he's going to make a survey trip to see what, the, what he's really looking at. He's trying to grasp um, just the craziness of what's going on. And he goes, and he, he walks through the main gate, and he's going around. There's some areas that have been so broken down that they can't pass through with the animal. He has to go a different direction to another spot. So you can imagine how just, uh, just decimated the city was. The walls were torn down that was... There was burning and fire. It was, it was a very tragic and difficult situation that he found himself in. Verse 16 does tell us this. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. And pause real quick. Some of these people followed him through the desert for three months. There's a lesson in leadership. I wish I could tell you, Nehemiah must, maybe it was the king and his word, I don't know what it was, but somehow there was a group of people that journeyed with Nehemiah. He didn't even tell them what he was doing and they stayed with him the whole way. That's leadership. I, I wish I could explain that to you and I wish I could say, here's what Nehemiah did. That's true leadership there. But he had all those people with him and he had not even told them what he was doing he came to jerusalem and was there for three days three days could have very well been for physical rest for him and for the rest of the people that had journeyed through the desert that long could have been a time for nehemiah we know he was a very spiritual man a praying man we found out in verse chapter one maybe this was a time for spiritual renewal for for Nehemiah so that he would be prepared to take the next step in leadership that God would have him to take. But he takes a three days rest and then he uh, takes a small group of men with him and they go to prepare. They go to look at the city. They go to see what the issue was. And I love the fact that Nehemiah, having a lot of people with him, took only a small group of people. He says, he arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I think it's interesting, Jesus kept a small number of disciples with him, 12, 11, if you want to count Judas, go ahead, 11 or 12, 
And then out of those 11 or 12, he had three, Peter, James, and John, that were closer to him than the others were. Um, I would say this, when you're speaking of trusted friends and allies, when you're thinking of people that will truly go to bat with you, I would always err on quality over quantity. I would always err on quality friendships over quantity of friendships. Can I put it to you in a social media um, illustration this morning? Social media is not necessarily about followers. Social media is about interactions. So for instance, I could go tomorrow and I could buy a bunch of followers. Did you know you could do that? I could buy a bunch of followers on Instagram and I would have X amount of followers. Let's just say I had 10,000 followers on Instagram. Man, that'd be amazing. But if I put up a post and only 35 people like my post, then social media, who cares? Our church could have 75,000 people following us on Facebook and we get eight likes. It doesn't really matter that 75,000 people are following you. Only eight people are actually interacting with what you're doing. In fact, people get paid money. Paid money to do these ads on social media. But it's not about number of followers. It's about your interaction. It's about how many people interact with your posts through likes and comments and other things, shares and things like that. It's quality. What I'm getting at is it's quality of your following more than it is quantity of your following. And so as you think about that, as you think about Nehemiah, as he went in for this, uh, this, this time to, to, to prepare for the city, he kept a close circle. Nehemiah does detailed reporting of the valley gate, the serpent wall, the refuse gate, the other outer walls and the gates there, the city. These are all important areas of the city. I don't have time this morning to go into each one of them, but the valley gate especially was the main gate and the main entrance to the city. But he prepares. He prepares. He sees and he assesses the situation at hand. So he took a long journey. He prepares. Stay with me. We're storytelling this morning. Okay. Thirdly, let's see the vision for the city. The vision for the city. Look at verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the distress that we are in. This is to all the people that are with him. How Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build a wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. I want us to take the next couple of minutes and I want us to look at and unpack this passage in this text. This is where I believe we're going to truly learn our lesson in leadership today. Our lesson in leadership, mom, dad, boss, friend, relative, who, whatever you are, however your leadership displays itself, can we learn some lessons right now in leadership? 
Let's see, firstly, that he didn't make the plan known until he had personally witnessed the devastation. He did not make his plan known until he had personally witnessed the devastation. You see, Hanani, his brother, whom he trusted, family, had come and told him about the city. Hanani had said, hey, listen, the walls are destroyed. The gates are, are destroyed. The people are, with, are without. They're lacking. They're in danger. His brother had said that. But Nehemiah saved the king and the queen only to those two people had Nehemiah verbalized what had happened. You see, he as a leader wanted to see with his own eyes before he made a comment on something. I'm going to say that again. He wanted to see and verify himself before he commented on something as a leader. And can I say this as leaders, every time that there's a situation presented before us, may we never be guilty of speaking first before verifying. We live in a day and age where accusation is guilt. We live in a day and age where your kid comes home from school and says, my teacher was mean and said this and did this, and we automatically... We don't call the teacher. No, the, we, take, we take our kid's word and we think our kids are said that we don't ever go back and check. We take, we're the same thing. We, we, we click on some obviously podunk website link on Facebook and it's, it's like a parody or a funny thing. And we take it seriously because we don't do the work to figure out if it's a legitimate problem or issue. And let me just say this, it will hurt your leadership. Can I say as a pastor, if I take a phone call from David this afternoon and David says, man, let me tell you something. I was sitting there in church today and Alex was right in front of me and Alex, man, you couldn't, you would not believe out what he said to me and how he treated me and the way he acted. And I just can't believe someone who names the name of Jesus would do that. It would be absolutely foolish of me to take a phone call from David and never contact and talk with Alex and automatically make a judgment then towards Alex based upon what I heard from David. You see, as a leader, it's really good to verify. I understand there may be certain times when you can't, but we should make every effort as a leader. Can I say moms and dads, you ought to make every, I'm not telling you that y'all can just take this for what it's worth. Your kids may or may not tell you the truth all the time. I'm just going to throw it out there. You might want to swing back around every now and then and verify. But my teacher said this, and come to find out that teacher wasn't even there that day. That teacher was out sick. We need to, as Nehemiah, he wanted to personally witness what was going on. He wanted to gather all the details. And can I say this, even in 2019, it's okay to take the time to gather all the details. Antonio Brown, for those of you that are sports fans, I can say that name right now. And immediately some of you are thinking, I know, the, I know what's come out in the last five days about Antonio Brown. I've already made. But the, the fact is this. I mean, the man's not even been in court yet. Like, we are so 2019. We are so 2019. And can we maybe revert back to, like, Bible? And Nehemiah is a great example here of wanting the facts and wanting to personally witness things. But not only that. Once he knew of the devastation, once he knew the facts, 
He didn't sugarcoat what was going on. He said it. Hey, listen, we, you see the distress that we're in. Look around us, guys. And can I say this? A, a, leader, a leader should be appropriately honest with, with the situation. Listen, I should never come before you as a leader of this church and make things out to be better than what they truly are. I should not do that. On the, on the flip side, I shouldn't always be doom and gloom. But I should not come up to you and say, listen, church, we're doing so good financially, man. God is blessing. Awesome. And we're in the whole 30 grand. Right? We're not. By the way, y'all can chill. We're good. But I'm just saying, I, I should never, as a leader, there's a part of leadership that has to be honest. As we parent our daughters, we don't, I don't want to raise our daughters in this fantasy land. There's a time when I have to say, i got to sit you down and say, hey, listen, as you get older, this is the, the world. This is the way the world operates. This is the real world. This is what you're going to be facing. And it's not good sometimes. It's, in fact, it's very bad sometimes. And Nehemiah was very honest with the people. Hey, listen, look around at what the destruction is. And this is, this is part of God's 70 years of judgment on us. This is what this is. And as a pastor, as a, one who preaches the Bible every week, let me say this. It is my job to appropriately present the truth. When the truth is happy. Man, we're on a mountaintop. We ought to be worshiping and praising God's psalms. Yes. But I also have to be honest and say, oh, Psalm 51, repentance, dealing with sin. Oh, we got those other, oh, no, we got to deal with this. This is, this is a, a, a disunity. We got to deal with unity and issues with unity. We got to deal with... I must be honest as a leader. And as a leader, we must be appropriately honest with people. But I love this. He, had, he knew the destruction. He presented the difficult, hard facts to the people. But he also passionately challenged the crowd. In fact, his words, I told them of the hand of my God, which had been upon me. And also of the king's words, that he had spoken to me. You see, he passionately said, listen, I know the need. And I know the need is great. I know the situation looks really bleak right now. I know that it appears to be really bad. But listen to me, I've seen the hand of God move in my life. I've had the conversation with the king. And he, he presents a passionate plea. To say, listen, if you'll trust me, and you'll trust that God has been working and moving in my life. If you'll trust that over the last seven months, three months journey, four months praying, over the last seven months, God has been working in my heart. And I've gone before the king, and he's validated these feelings and this burning desire that I have in my heart. If you guys would just, just trust me, God has done something in my heart. And he passionately pleads before them. And let me say this. I... I believe that passion always follows purpose. Passion always follows purpose. When you get your purpose, and Nehemiah knew what his purpose was, passion followed. Passion followed. And now everyone displays their passion different, differently. I understand that. But I'm passionate about preaching God's word. And I hope that it comes across when I preach God's word, when I talk about preaching God's word, I hope it comes across. I'm passionate about seeing people come together in a local church. I'm passionate about seeing us grow. I'm passionate, and I hope that comes across. Hey, I'm passionate about other things. I'm passionate about sports, and I, it comes across. Hey, I'm passionate about food, and it comes across. All right, I'm passionate. 
Listen, once purpose is found in our lives, passion is soon to follow. Passion follows purpose. But passion alone accomplishes little. Passion alone accomplishes little. We see next that he inspired the people to take action. You see, passion by itself produces little. But passion with performance or passion with action can produce much. And I love this. Leadership, we're learning leadership lessons from Nehemiah. Hey, listen, I don't want to have to tell my girls every day, go do this, go do that, go clean your room, go brush your teeth, go do that, go do that. I don't, at some point in time, that's got to stop, right? As a parent, like they have to own it. Okay, listen to this. Nehemiah presents passionately the vision, and look what it says. So they said, let us rise up and build. Uh, did you catch it? Nehemiah presents the vision. He says, listen, look at the walls. They're down. They're completely, they're, they're completely destroyed. The people, the people here are in grave danger of being taken back into captivity. He presents all this. He says, don't you trust what God has been doing in my heart for the last seven months? And he gets done with that passionate plea. And the people say, hey, guys, you heard him. Let's, let's, let's rise up. Let's build. They said it. You see, true leadership is not dictatorial. True leadership is influencing someone to do something on their own that they need to do. Does everybody understand that? The lowest form of leadership, positional leadership, says, I am your father, you are my daughter, so you will do what I say. True leadership, influential leadership, says, I'm going to influence you in such a way that you understand that you need to do something on your own. And that is next level leadership. And Nehemiah shows it right here. Listen, there's a problem. I'm passionate about this problem. God's hand has worked in my life for seven months as I prayed and as we journeyed this far. And the people said, hey, Nehemiah, I caught that vision. Hey, Nehemiah, we got it. Hey, Nehemiah, thank you for sharing. Thank you for being the leader that you are. Hey, guys, let's do this. Let's do this. And can I say that one of my goals, honestly, as a leader, as a pastor of a church, is not that I would say, man, I feel like we need to do this, so I'm going to go do everything. Part of my job as a leader and a pastor of this church is to cast vision so that two or three of you in here will say, okay, I see that. We, we got this. We got this. We got this. Hey, listen, we need to do this. We need to take this step forward. All right, I got you. Let's do it. That's my job as a leader. My job as a leader is... Not to sign up on every single line back there on what we're bringing on October the 6th for food. My job is to inspire you to go sign up your name for something you're bringing on October 6th for food. Does that make sense? My job is not to simply be a one-man band. My job is to lead and to inspire and through passion and through, and through God's power to open up avenues for you to say, Hey, we're going to rise up here. We're going to build. By the way, one day, it will be a physical building. Get ready. All right. But they said, they said, let us rise up and build. And then lastly, he courageously led through opposition. Those same two men that saw him on the road, on the way, they return 
and they got a third guy with them, and they begin to oppose him. I don't know. They begin to oppose him. They despised him. They laughed at him. But he continued leading the vision. He continued. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. The one thing you can take to the bank, if you plan on being a leader that leads anything worthwhile, is that there will be opposition. There will be opposition. You're trying to lead your family well, there's going to be opposition. I promise. Hey, you're trying to lead a group at work well, there will be opposition. Look, you try to lead a HOA, there will be opposition. I promise you, it is the way communism is seeping into our country. Just kidding. I love all you HOA people. Um, just stay away from me. Uh, but anyway, if I want to paint my house pink, I'm going to paint it pink. Just kidding. Um, I don't care what you lead. I don't care if it's volunteer leading, if it's your job. I don't care how small you think. If you're going to lead something, be, be prepared for opposition. In, the, in churches, it looks like this. We're bringing in a children's pastor who's going to be taking over and doing some amazing things with our children's ministry. And there's going to be people who go, well, I don't really like the way he does this. That's the way churches work. Well, Tim, I didn't really like that song. As if we cater the worship to you every Sunday. You were worshiping Bill over here. No, we're worshiping Jesus. Well, I just didn't really appreciate the way Steve made that decision about connect groups. That's the way it kind of works. But if you're going to lead something, you got to be able to lead through opposition. By the way, without being a jerk. Nehemiah wasn't a jerk to them. He just said, hey, God's going to take care of us. We're just going to build. God's going to take care of us. We're going to build. Listen, if you're going to lead anything that's going to do anything for good and for God, there will be opposition. And can I say this? During opposition... Nehemiah did not focus on the opposition. He focused on God. He focused on God. You may have heard this before. In fact, this quote has been attributed to two or three different people. But to avoid criticism, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing. Right? But if God has called you to lead something, to do something then he's also called you to endure opposition this morning. There will be opposition. If you lead, there will be those who oppose. And we must answer, hey, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. Craig Rochelle's a pastor out in the Midwest. He says, he says this, sometimes the biggest blessings in life are on the other side of opposition. Sometimes the biggest blessings in life are on the other side of opposition. Struggle, the naysayers, the doubters, the despisers, the haters. As we go through that and we walk through that, 
oftentimes the biggest blessings are found on the other side. Can I say this if you're going to be a leader today? Mom, dad, boss, manager, business owner. There will be opposition. And what I fear is that so oftentimes we react to the opposition too hastily, without all the details, sometimes. We react to the opposition in our emotions and not based upon facts. We don't take the time to give it credence or not. I fear that when we face opposition, we're so focused on the person who created the opposition that we take our eyes off the one we got into this whole thing for anyway. As we face opposition, we take our eyes off Jesus, the one who called us into what we're doing, the one who led us into what we're doing, the one who gave us that purpose and that plan. And we take our eyes off of him and we bring it down to the offender, to the opposer. And can I just say this morning, as you lead, as you lead, this is the way we lead. It's just like this. I kind of look like Jordan, jump man right here. Except I'm not off the ground. All right? It's just like this. This is the way we lead. And we always want to lead just like this right here. As we reach ahead to him and our eyes are focused on him and, and as we lead people behind us. Listen, this isn't leading. This, this isn't leading right here. This is struggling. This is all this is. This is leading. This is leading. Can I, can I beg you, as we are all growing in our leadership, as we're all growing as parents or as bosses or as supervisors or as community leaders or whatever we are, during times of opposition, because they will come, may we keep our focus on the prize. May we keep our focus on the one who called us. You're here today and you say, Josh, this message wasn't really intently focused on grace or intently focused on Jesus or intently focused on the gospel this morning. And you're right. By the way, I, I, will, not I will not stretch Bible interpretation just to get to a good invitation. All right? So that's, just, that's not me. Um, I'm not going to be like, Nehemiah here. Uh, if you look next, this is Jesus. Okay, here we go. Jesus. Um, but I will say this, if you're here today and maybe you are a leader and you feel helpless, if you're here today and uh, maybe you're a leader that's grown up in church, you're a leader who has struggled. I don't know what it is, but if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus, I will say it would be like trying to lead all those people without God. It would be like Nehemiah trying to lead all those people without the one who gave him that purpose and that passion. It would be like trying to lead all those people without the help of creator God in Nehemiah's life. And can I say this, that God created you and that in our sin and your sin, the sin that we all have that we inherited from Adam, Romans 5, 12, as by one man sinned into the world, so death passed, passed upon all men because all have sinned. You were born a sinner by default. Don't do anything. You're a sinner. Him that knows to do good and does it not to him, it is sin. Just stay what you're doing. Don't do anything. And we're sinners by default. 
It's called a sinful nature. Who you are, who you were as a sinner. You couldn't live a perfect life, but God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners in our sinful nature, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for me. He died for everyone. Salvation is a free gift that is offered to everyone. For the wages or payment of sin is death, but the gift of God. It's eternal life. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with him, honestly, you can learn all the leadership lessons that you want to from Nehemiah. Great. And I hope you become a better leader. But I I hope you don't become a better leader who doesn't have Jesus. I hope you don't just say, hey, I learned some really good things from Nehemiah because there's some great things to learn from Nehemiah, believers or unbelievers. But it'd be all in vain if you became a better leader and your soul was not saved from hell. Can I say this, that Jesus Christ died and he died for you. He didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later and he rose in victory. And it's the most important thing. It's the most amazing thing about the gospel is that Jesus Christ lives. He rose in victory over hell. He rose in victory over sin. He rose in victory over death. He wants to give you that life. That life begins immediately and it lasts for all eternity. Jesus didn't just die for you to go to heaven someday. Jesus died so that your life would be changed today. And Jesus can do that. Yes, in the future, we will end up in one of two places. And if we have Jesus as our personal Savior, we will spend eternity in heaven. Praise the Lord. But he's got so much awesomeness for us between now and that day. I want to beg you today, if you've not made that decision, surrendered your heart and your life and entered into a personal, a personal relationship with Jesus. Would you make today that day? Leaders, can we grow in leadership? Can we grow? Facing opposition, can we keep our eyes focused on the one who can lead us through? This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.church. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.